listening to Jazz and Powerful. Okay, welcome everybody. I'm Jazz. Welcome back. I've missed you genuinely because I haven't left the house. Really good to hear slash see slash know that you're there. And this show, Everyday Heroes, is waiting for you every week to bring you evidence of everyday heroes more so that you will see that you have more agency than you give yourself credit for and that is going to be important when it comes to future proofing yourself from this post-pandemic world to where you want to be the difference you want to make and today's guest if I say that I see a lot of people I get to go to a lot of events I get to move in a lot of different worlds and often when I'm hired to go somewhere to do a keynote or do some work with someone often I'm not always, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'm the one who's done the most thinking about what we're talking about. So I love running against people who are faster than me because it means it challenges my thinking. It makes me change my mind in the middle of a sentence. And this woman is one of those people. So a little bit in awe, a little bit of fangirling going on here. Please welcome to the stage beyond the Beyonce of safeguarding, quite frankly. I'm sure that's what it says on your website. <laughs> I'm Marie Christian. Take a seat, my love. Wow, I've never, ever, ever been called that. But thank you so much. I, I, well, I will take that with, with, with great glory. Thank you. So <laughs> I do talk fast, but that's a, a reminder to slow down in talking to you because I'm so excited in what Aww. I need to say in that sense. So thank you. And yes, I have seen you a few times on, we shared the stages in the keynote yeah. at similar conferences. Yeah. And that's when I've got to hear about your lovely, fantastic journey and all the things that you do to inspire people and continue to be that voice. So thank you. And thank you for the invitation. Um, and yes, um, who am I? So I'm here today as Anne-Marie Christian, um, the safeguarding consultant or international safeguarding consultant because I work across the world. However, I'm also Anne-Marie um, and I'm a person who I'm very passionate about change. I'm very passionate about everyone having a voice and I'm very passionate about um, you know, identity and inclusion and just generally the well-being of people and everyone's got the right to feel safe and feel valued. So they, these are my core principles and I kind of change that into a lifestyle, should I say, in what I do every day in my day job. Yeah, that is what's interesting about you, that you're, you know, so often our identity is wrapped up with what we do. Um, um, sometimes people can't, it's, it's not a bad thing or a good thing, but sometimes people find it hard to disassociate and we talk about personal values and values at work but for me it's not about a balance between the two it's about being able to show up as me in every area of my life that I, I move in and and you very much live the the values the life the, the what you promote you, you are you are you are doing it at the same time as talking about it which makes it really interesting because you're going to hit barriers yourself you're going to hit questions yourself you're going to hit challenges and you use the skills that you advocate to work through them and I think that that's what makes you a kind of the Beyonce of safeguarding it's like this living this living kind of journey that you go on that you've been on and you continue to go on it's like being able to commit to something even though it's hard and what that means is that you're able to meet people where they are wherever they are because you've got this filing cabinet of strategies and drawers and ideas and you can you seem to be able to pitch people right where they are Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. And I think it's interesting you say that because um, I'm the youngest out of eight. So I'm the baby of the wow. family. And, and I was a spoiled little girl. I tell you that now. So I apologise <laughs> in advance. And it's interesting. I still sometimes think that um, in society, I should still be that person. But anyway, we won't go there. But yes, um, you know, I am used to being spoiled by my five. My, my got five older brothers. So I suppose my wow. husband had to do that in, in, you know, and he still says sometimes to me that, you were spoiled, but you know, you can still see that expected to be spoiled like my brothers did, but there you go. It's one of those things. So in, <laughs> in that I'm, I obviously um, am aware that in that kind of upbringing of being, having a voice, feeling valued, etc. cetera. Um, I always knew, I suppose, in the way that we grew up in my family, it was one of those principles that then my mother went on to foster. So I had eight of us, as oh, I said, wow. and in yeah. fostering, I was introduced to the first time ever, some people in life who had different experiences, um, and then um, at that time I was doing hairdressing and beauty. So that was my first career. But prior to that, I was also doing a lot of youth um, theatre. I love the theatre. So I grew up in the theatre in that sense of summer holidays, 
put them and yeah, I performed at Covent Garden in the open space. Woo! I know wow. in the eighties, definitely. And then I did a bit of youth theatre with Sadler's Wells and the Tricycle Theatre, which has now got a different name. So in that, I was always around the whole thing around expression, who you are, identity. And then I suppose I was then went into hairdressing here into the creative space. And then in hairdressing, it was interesting. I was making people look better, but they didn't feel better. And then I found that through the psychology of making believing in people, that's when I got into my theory psychology around social work. And that's when I, with the kind of dovetail of my mother's experience of being a foster carer, when we were obviously older teenagers, and she had, she fostered for 20 years after that, I was exposed to social workers for the first time, children who'd been harmed by relatives, all of that. And I think for me, I really witnessed and saw the, 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 um, the, the invisible voice, people who had no voice, who'd been taken advantage of or labelled for life, etc. And then in the early 90s, I went to America. I was dating a guy in, the, in America for a while, and I was exposed to things in America around teenagers or juveniles, as they were caught there, you know, and I met this, this particular young person. He was about 17 and he'd murdered his parents. But he was, and he was a lovely person. But in saying yeah, that, yeah. if I'd known that before I met him, I wouldn't have thought that. Does that make sense? So I yeah, went through a bit of a journey, yeah. kind of meeting people who unfortunately were stigmatized for the wrong reasons. And that really got me into social work. And since then, I've been in it ever since, for, since 96, I qualified, did residential before that. So being around 30 years in safeguarding, um, and then in the job that I do, as you know, independently now for the last 11 years, um, I work across the world in that sense of the Far East, the Middle East, the UK, do safeguarding in sports, arts, faith, education. And I'm very much a realist. So I do believe in almost like the elephant in the room, like what you said, I am one of those people that the reality is there is going to be people that we know, you know, yeah. who've been harmed, full stop, yeah. you know, and, and, and ourselves included in that. So I think it's something where... That's for me, it's about we need to recognize the reality of people who have had, i.e., non recent, to is, am, you know, yes, current, yeah, yeah. to in the future will be. And I think the more we talk about it in the sense of knowing it, then we can protect others, talk about it, no embarrassment, all those things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. for me, you know, knowing those invisible voices, for example, boys who've been harmed, yes. you know, by another boy or by a girl. Yes, I appreciate girls, society and what we're going on at the moment in, in the whole thing about violence against girls. I completely am really for that. Of course I am. In every country I go to, I support the NGOs who are advocating for any culture, any community for that. But I appreciate also the, the invisible voices of those boys. Mm. And I, I call them children because they are children, you know, who um, are also part of this. And we need to appreciate the challenges that boys have and girls, but the sense of the barriers of, you know, the horrible homophobic world we live in where they're going to be questioning things. And yeah, so my, my ultimate thing is every child's got a right to feel valued and loved, um, cared for and protected. Yeah. So that's me so, in one sentence. It's, I, I, I love that. And I remember like when I, when I first met Paul Dix, it was the first time that anyone was talking. Like, safeguarding wasn't a thing when I was at school. <laughs> you turn up, you don't turn up. Well-being wasn't a thing when I was at school for teachers or for children when I was a kid. So I, I kind of learned that there was there was a wrongness about me, which obviously is a you know straight out of a textbook victim, blame myself for that. And the, what, what I learned as I was growing up and going into teenage years is that that wrongness was something that I had to protect other people from and keep a secret about. Not And so when I met, and then I went into teaching with that same idea, you know, kind yeah. of avoiding difficult conversations. I, I was at a education show and Paul Dix was standing there with um, a, tr a, a branch in a bucket and it had ribbons on it. And, and Paul Dix looks like a rugby player, right? It looks like he's the square. He's quite, you know, kind of well yeah, built. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I see this guy who's like slightly scruffy here, quite built with a, a, a branch with ribbons on it on a stall. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my bias is going off the shoes. Like, yeah, yeah. What's going on here? What's it? So I have to go and find out. So I go up to him and go, what are you? What's your story? And he starts talking about like what we know to be safeguarding and I'm just talking about people who've had an experience like I've had, but I've hidden my whole life because yeah, yeah. I thought it was wrong. And, and I remember, and that was the, that was a real, real sea change of actually, oh my gosh, what I'd be allowed to talk about some of the impact of this. I thought people didn't want to know. And it was, so that was interesting. And another time that happened was when we sat together 
at oh, Euston yeah. Station. I remember that. Leon. Remember? My daughters were with me, weren't they? Some yes, reason. that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we sat there and we were chatting and you said, I said, I'm painfully aware when I share my story or do a keynote that there are people in the audience who have um, been abused or had a similar experience of neglect or torture or whatever. I'm painfully aware of that. And you said, yes, and there are also abusers in the audience. And it, and I it, I just, it totally reframed. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I know the statistics. I'm not, <laughs> but I hadn't even considered. And it was a real moment of, yeah. do I stop being human at this point? Do I stop what I'm doing? How do I, I, it was a real kind of, it was the same moment as the catalyst that got me doing this in the first place. And I think, and that was, you know, I talk about empathy a lot as a means of engaging, as a means of enrolling. And the thing about empathy is you can't have empathy just with the people you like. You have to have empathy with the people who are diametrically opposed to you or you disagree with. If you don't have to, but you get to, if you want to start a conversation that could lead to change. If you're just shouting at someone, you know, you're racist, sexist, bigot, homophobic, and you know you are, they are unlikely to go, do you know what? You're right. Help me be different. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah, generally yeah, how yeah. it works. So so actually, the you have to pick, you have to decide. But if you decide to do empathy in a way that opens doors and you might not be the person who brings about the whole change you might be someone who sparks a catalyst yes, conversation yes. that they're going to have with 400 other people but what i keep coming back to the journey that i've been on and if if really simple thing for me is if i'd known that it was wrong for an adult to touch a child's private parts when i was a kid i would have said something I, if i'd known that was wrong i would have said and i've been in schools in america where they chant every morning it is not okay for a child to be hit by an adult. It is not okay for a gun to be placed in a gun. It is not okay. for an, And it's drummed into these like kindergarten kids and they, they speak it and then they speak affirmations after it. And I, I remember standing in this class in New York, just streaming, tears streaming down mm. my face, mm. thinking I, I can't believe that a, if I'd known that, if I'd had that language, if I'd been able to say something, and I, it was never available. Oh, me, the queen of words. It was never, I never had the words. And that was even after all, you know, things coming out, going to court and foster care and therapy. And even after all that, it's still this, this element, how hard it is to overcome shame, even when it's not yours. And I think that could be massively combated by people who were daring to be courageous about the conversations we have and not normalizing it but although it is normalized but actually being able to have a have a clear voice on on the side of the angels as a as opposed to just a very clear voice that isn't on the side of the angels do you know what i mean yeah i completely know what you mean i I, and i and it wasn't until you said that that i kind of it's like i got sucked back into my past (laughs) and then reframed everything again so yeah that was a time that i was quiet that one time (laughs) the one time (laughs) that one time Listening to jazz and powerful. But t- tell me about that because you've got you're really articulate in in ways of doing that. Because I feel like I still look at this down the lens, even with all the work I've done and the, the books I've read and the courses I've taken. I still look at this down the lens of someone who um, has navigated it from a different point of view, and re- and regret that that was the case. Like I'm dissatisfied that that was the case yeah, because yeah. I know it's still the case yeah, today and that yeah. makes me cross. So you you seem to be objective. How, how do you? So the so it's interesting you say that. So I know, for example, because don't forget, I because I'm a qualified social worker and I'm, um, I was a manager for 13 years. We do investigations of children who've been harmed, right? And yeah, yeah. language is really important, by the way, in how we encourage people to say things. Because when you label people and use words like a victim, abuse, mm, you know, mm. if you say someone's hurt you, then actually I'm more likely to tell you because the yeah. behavior is very adult. So disclosure is an adult word. You can't say to a child, yes. ooh, disclose yeah. it to me. What? Talk to me. <laughs> so we have to be aware yeah. of those languages. And going back to what you said, you know, one thing I know with the new RSHE we've got at the moment, and it's well overdue like decades explain, overdue. For people who don't know what it is, explain right. the acronym. It's Relationship Sex Health Education. Um, and it's about taking, teaching children from the age of three about healthy relationships and lots and lots of other things, in a sense. So when you teach children, for example, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, 
you know, by equipping that child to say, and this is your buttock, and this is your anus, and this is your vagina, and this is your penis, where we go toilet from. So it sounds like your nose and your eyes, but you also tell people that it's very private and only people who, um, you know, so you describe it in a way that, um, because even parents abuse, we know that, but there's still something where you describe it in a way that, you know, the child's able to understand it's a private part but, but no one's ever told a child that their mouth is a private part because you know and I, I really want to emphasize this a kiss when I say to people kiss mm. people always fall into the trap oh you just kiss like that believe me in the job that I do and what we know what happens and abuse tongues you know there's lots of types yeah. of kissing so we yeah. just need to be aware that like what you said the whole thing about teaching children you know the reality of harm being done and you know the whole thing about like what you're saying my approach is um we need to appreciate that there's more people so when you look at the stats and the research about one in 20 for the nspcc say children have been sexually harmed by person they know and that could be an adult or a child right um i we always got to appreciate that people there's more people not caught than caught and I say that for harm being done by children, but also for adults, i.e. DBSs only capture the people that yeah. have been caught. Right. Yeah. So when we have that model of in society, there are going to be people who hide it, who are attracted to children or just love the power dynamics of the innocence and vulnerabilities of it. So because of that, we need to equip people that when you feel uncomfortable, unsafe, you know, tell people you're feeling nervous, but also be mindful of if we accept and these are my two strap lines. Think the unthinkable and it could happen here. If we accept that in every environment, whether it's home, whether it's online, whether it's in your church group or your, you know, your sports activities, after school club, even your own family barbecues you know, in yeah, your home. Yeah. So any setting is a place where a child has access to an adult or the person who wants to harm has access to um, the child, right? If we accept that, then we'll accept that um, all the time there's going to be an opportunity for that person. Okay. So whether you're at home um, and you're thinking, oh, that's interesting, online or in place, etc., you sometimes normally pick up the energy potentially. If you've got your eyes open, the right lens on, you pick up the energy. Yes. Yes. If you haven't, you miss it, you know. And I think yeah. it's just important that people need to appreciate it happens anywhere. You know, it's not those people over there. It could be these people in my home too. So we yeah. need to have that it could happen here approach. Teach children and adults potentially about boundaries. So, yes, for example, yeah. you know, as children getting older, boys and girls, they want privacy. They want their space. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. respecting that. But at the same time, um, you know, that child who's got a friend who they, they play with, but are they aware that there's some things that, potentially might be um they've been asked to do that isn't a game and they want to say no so we need to understand and equip children to feel empowered to have that voice so I suppose one of my things I'm really passionate about is the more we spread that across society and accept that child abuse does not discriminate in any society in any class any caste any religion any type of family from the wealthy to the not so wealthy any gender then that we're going to appreciate that it is happening it's happening a lot and when we look at the numbers every group of children we know potentially is going to be a child who's subject to emotional neglect physical or sexual harm well exactly in every class i mean even if you just take an spcc every single class there's going to be one every group there is a child so what are you doing to ensure that whatever you're doing covers everybody. Because if there's someone in there, like my, my son at school did, um, he does sociology and there was a unit in sociology that he did. Um, and he came back and I, I usually say, what have you failed at today? Because I want to, we, we celebrate what we failed at. Because we, you know, anyway, we, it, it's my parenting. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. It's your style. I'm, I'm working it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he came up one day, I said, oh, what have you failed? He said, oh, I, I don't know, but we did something interesting. We did, we got a new topic. We're doing feral children. And I'm like, Okay, I mean, he's like what thirteen, fourteen at the time. I'm like feral children. Gosh, that that's that's a, an interesting talk. And in my head, I'm thinking, are there are there enough documented cases of children who are feral that we can study it in sociology? Is this a unit that is a big? I don't know because I don't do the subject. 
And I said, okay, so what did you do? And he talked about, they showed a video of a girl, a teenage girl in, I don't know, some European country. Um, and her mum and dad were, you know, they were had alcohol problems and drug problems. And they punished her by making her go and stay in the kennel outside with the dogs. So she spent a lot of time with this these Tuskies or whatever dogs they were and took on their behaviours and started behaving like a dog and would revert to that and move mm-hmm. like that. And, um, and so he was telling me about this. And as I'm listening, you know, I'm listening as a mum, which is a, a role I feel like I'm grappling at on a good day. But on, on, on bad days, I realise that I do not have... I am not equipped and I've mm-hmm. not got, a, I've not, the only example I've got of parenting is from teachers at school. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to navigate that and use that. And I'm listening to this thinking if I'd been 13 in that class living with, you know, what was happening, the people who were hurting me and living with them and how it had been doctrinated into it's the right thing. It's okay. And, and also feeling that every teacher at school knew and agreed mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. because and they looked said- at me. Yeah. yeah, they had the same look of disappointment. They used to say the same things. Mm. You've let yourself down. Yeah, you yeah, know, you're not yeah. you're not behaving as you should. So so I just thought they were all in cahoots. If I'd sat in that class and been being taught being learning about kids who's experienced being t- and it's not even the experience, being taught by someone who has not had that experience and so is assuming it's rare and mm-hmm. so is projecting it as if it's not a normal experience. And here I am sitting here having had that experience. What do I do with that? So those children in that class potentially who, but I'm sure such schools would be aware of that to know that in every subject, you're going to be a trigger for some children. Are you sure? I say that as in, I'll take it back. No, I say that because I know I've seen some shocking things with my, like yeah, money, hat, m- money hat on definitely where yeah. I've seen things to say, a, potentially you haven't safeguarded because if my child was that child you were not aware potentially of how that would ex- she would experience that yeah absolutely I'll take yeah. it back I'll take it back. yeah I, w- I want to be sure and I'm hopeful but like we've just said about the conversation if we don't have these conversations yeah. not as professionals but as people then then how are we because what we do when we get into schools we lock off we move away from human we go mm-hmm. towards professional mm-hmm. we get scared of what Ofsted will do and we live in this world where we can hear a disclosure and say I'll deal with that tomorrow even though we know that child's going home tonight because we're in the 24-hour period so that's that when I say yeah I want us to I want that to be the case but I don't want us to miss and I don't want us to take any assumptions I want us to be I want us to have the conversation and without judgment and without anything other than well, let's look at this. Where, what, I wake up every morning, right? This is my life tactic. I wake up in the morning, and once I've got myself together, I ask myself, what do I not know? What do I not know? And then I go on a journey and try and find out. And that, that attitude is one that I'd love people to have rather than I can't imagine that will be the case. Not what yeah, you're saying, yeah, but I, yeah, I've had yeah, that yeah, so yeah, often yeah, from people yeah. in school. Mine's the same, actually. Mine's the same model yeah. as in, today I'm going to discover some things I didn't know t- yesterday. Yes. You know, yeah. in that model of, and that happens so many times when I do training or webinars, etc. Now what I'm getting is because it's Zoom Zoom, I get people hanging out on the Zoom. So when I'm clicking off, they're like, can I talk to you a bit, Henry? I'm like, yes. okay. And then it comes up and I'm like, fine, just email me or I'll stay on the call. Um, and I've had that from recently, a colleague, I was doing safe recruitment training and a colleague, well, someone that I know through that course, hence I don't know them, re- recognised a friend of theirs that they always had a suspicion about as in odd mm-mm. and because it's a new subject they didn't know what it actually was but there was something odd about this person and this person in the end told me I he, he felt physically sick because he recognized I know one of these people and they've been doing it for about 15 years I've, I lived with them and I feel sick and it was a dilemma of do I report this person what do I do he felt really guilty that he hadn't done any. Oh my God, it was a massive thing. But that's just a scenario of, I expect that every day. Because as you said before, I, I, people say it to me all the time. And I don't know, how, maybe it's my acting. I don't know, maybe it's something in my genuine creative um, performing arts world. But there is something about how I present it where people feel comfortable. Yes, or yeah. talking about something a bit risky, but in a way that is digested. Well, yeah. do you understand? I don't know what it, that is. I can't tell you it, what that is. I'm no, sorry. it's I think it's you've done you've done the journey. It's disarming. It is disarming when like I, I'm I'm quite straight talking, but I listen to you. And I think because I'm close to a lot of the stuff, I listen to you and I, I feel equally like wow and relieved 
at the same time because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is a conversation. This is wrapping words around things that people can't, that people grapple with. And I am grateful for that. But I think people, I, I, I do believe that educators in particular are only one sandwich away from saying yes to something more difficult that requires more courage, but they need an invitation. Yes, and I think I that's what you that. do. You, you offer an invitation that makes it okay. You, it makes it okay to say, uh, this is, this is where I am. This is do you know what I did yesterday? There's a magical moment. I'll share it with you because it's exactly that. I was in a setting and in this setting, because when I go to settings and do audits or something, I always say, how many children have you got attending your school? Break up of the types of children from EAL, SEN, all of that stuff, you know, people premium, whatever. Two, how many children you got known to social care? How many people you got looked up, whatever. So we do the kind of statistics about volumes. I'm thinking of the reality of one in 20, the reality of what are you doing to create a proactive approach to children yes. talking? Yeah. So this was like a zero, zero, zero one where they had nothing, nothing open in the sense of, no no known cases i'm like okay wow that must be the only school in the country (laughs) so then in that what they recognize so when i'd done my bits and bits and bits by the end of the day i gave feedback to slt etc and i said right and 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 i was and i I explained the whys the details of the theories behind and the reality of research and then i said can you remember the first time you told your loved one or you wanted to tell your loved one that you love them they said yeah and there were two men, by the way, and um, it's a bit awkward, but we got there and they went, yeah. Like eventually they were kind of like, yeah, they went, yeah. I said, okay, that's how, meaning you wanted to tell them, but you have to wait for the right moment to say it where you weren't vulnerable or left hanging in a state of, oh my God, I feel a bit really embarrassed now because you didn't actually, yeah. you know, tell me yeah. something back. So I said, that's how young people feel when they want to tell you about something that they've, that they've experienced in, harm, in a harmful way. Oh my gosh. So they know they want to tell someone, but they know that at the time they want to tell someone in the future or now, but they have to wait for that right opportunity where they can literally say it at a prompt or a conversation where they're not embarrassed and they know you're going to receive it well and support them. Do you know what? The bulb dropped. When I said that, the bulb moment was like, of course. And they were aware because I said, you're not going to get a knock on the door like, morning, sir, last night this happened to him. You don't get, it doesn't go that way. Or you're not going to get an email or a text. You know what I mean? And they were like, that's so true. And then I said, right, we're going to put things in place. I'll be back in a year. And I, and with this approach of these resources, I'm giving them almost what they need to do to yeah. put in that the scale of more proactive. And then next year we'll come back and they should have more known cases. So that's the example I'm giving you, the whole thing about, but when yes. I made it personal to the individual's leadership, they then realised we're not doing that for our young people. And we have to be aware that they've all got that moment, that nugget inside of them that they want to open, but we have to make them feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. The space for, I mean, I, I think that's the thing in, in kind of, the, you know, education is, is today. There aren't, there isn't a lot of space. <laughs> there isn't a lot of space. Even like when, you know, I always feel like it's, we're, we're imposing stuff onto people so that summer of that year six year seven that summer of no belonging you know Mm. where you don't belong to primary you don't belong to secondary and then you start I'm a transition governor at my school um, and I'm always talking about that time when those year sevens come in and yes you want to do assessments yes you want to tell them where things are yes but at that moment you the most important thing you need to be working on is giving them space to get to know them and and saying to them we are here for you you've got to establish withness that's the most important thing you need to do at the beginning of year seven, establish witness. And even if you get as, as close as we're for you, as opposed to we're with you, that's got to be there. Because I think what my, my, my recollection, what I've seen even as a teacher is that in that finding that time and that courage and that space and the words, it's like when you've, um, it's like when you're drunk, when you first start drinking, when you're younger and when you, you're still drinking, but you feel ill and you know you're about to be sick. And your head's spinning and you're about to throw up and then you don't you don't throw up or you manage to and then you kind of get and that that moment, you know, the moment before you vomit where it's like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate being sick. (laughs) I've been sick like six times in my whole life because I will always avoid it if I can. And there's that moment where there's six coming up and you're like, okay, no, no, I don't want we're going for it. And then it happens in that split second. That's the time when the decision 
it's like, okay, there's not many people here or she's got yeah, a minute, yeah, we're yeah, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not going to mark, oh, there's no display to go, yeah, no yeah. one's coming in, oh my God, it's happening. And then yeah, yeah. it can go. I, where are those moments? Because for me, none. I, I remember the, the, the language that people would use and the actions of being too busy. Like, right, come on, go, go. We haven't got time. Let's go. That's why I never, I don't like this rushed parenting thing that I used to do when my kids were little. Get your coat on. Let's get out of the door. Come on, come on. We've got to go. We've got to go. Let's just be late. Let's just be late for this one. But this idea for me, there was never an appropriate time. And I wrote a letter for my book to my eight-year-old and it said, my eight-year-old self, and it said things like, um, find an adult you trust and tell them what's happening at home. At first, it'll look like they're too busy. It's okay. Keep trying. Um, it'll look like that they are not interested it's okay, keep trying. When you start talking, they'll be confused and look like they're not really like, oh, come on, just spit it out. It's okay, keep trying. And it ended with when you do tell someone, they won't believe you. It's okay, keep trying. Because it took four adults before I was believed. And so the, there's this thing of where are the moments? Yeah, where yeah, are yeah. the times yeah. for someone to vomit copy yeah what whatever it is my hamsters died even yeah, that you, mean, you know yeah, if yeah. you're in reception where are the yeah. times and i and i feel like we we have to make the space we have to make the space you know i would like us to T tell me about what's the what's the most difficult thing people find what's the what's the barrier towards engaging in a conversation about safeguarding beyond box ticking and all right documents. so i find because don't forget when i'm talking or delivering you've got eyes on you like you when you're yeah. in auditoriums right so you've got eyes when it's a smaller group i can i connect not not as an iphone by the way i just meant connect <laughs> when you're looking in people's eyes and, you know i mean lots of things nowadays anyway so with that it's so interesting since I've been, I've got that lens on now in the last, so I was um, did a gig in Singapore in 2018, International State Planning Conference. And I was, I was very lucky to be with the world leading guru who deals with sex offenders, right? I'm not going to mention his name, but he knows who he is. And he gets flown around the little helicopters when they've arrested someone for almost like, right. you know, serious sex, sexual harm done to children, like a predator, like serious, like serious, serious, like the Gary Glitters of the world, those people yeah. who travel around and he, he, he kind of said to me um, the whole thing about the reality of um, people that are not caught to court, people that constantly are doing these things. Yeah. Okay. So going back to your question that you just asked me about what stops people is, um, and, and, and for him also, with that lens, I turned it from the iceberg syndrome of more people not caught, but also there's going to be people, like I said to you, I think I met you after that, that in my room are going to be people who were causing harm too. So now I've got that lens. This sounds terrible. When I'm training, I know they feel awkward and comfortable. It's like if I stole something and someone's talking to about stealing yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. you're going to get so guilty aren't you like no it wasn't me and then your body you know psychology tells us our body language tells us we can't hide it and that's what they they can't hide it yet it, you know i did steal it, it was me you can't hide it there's no way so what they tend to do you're going to laugh now jazz they start flapping like a seal because they get fidgety the first thing is they get fidgety they get redneck right. depending on what shade they are but they get rednecked fidgety and awkward you can just feel the right. numbness you can just right. feel it not that i'm going to say him, her, over there. <laughs> Arrest him, officer. It's tempting, it's tempting, but I don't. It's tempting, but I don't. But you normally sense the awkwardness. Yeah. Their colleagues won't. Believe me, their colleagues no, won't. No, no, I no, do, because I'm no, looking no. right in the soul. You know, the soul of the heart, the eyes, right? And and that's what I've picked up on. To the point where sometimes I then get those calls. So I might, I then always update the, the leadership about the reality of you can get a phone call. So the reality I've had the last five years, for example, have been calls from SLTs saying um, police arrived on site, arrested a member of staff who'd been viewing indecent images or bought some online. So I use that sometimes in that room of training to let that person know it's a matter of time, blah, blah, blah. Do you understand? Letting them know, i.e. But also the team to know. And I look, I do my stats as well to say, and it's highly likely there might be someone in this room who's also causing harm, but we wouldn't know. So I bring it in gently yeah. to let them think like when I met you to consider because you never thought yes. about it. And now yeah. you've thought about it. You might now doubt or question 
that's so interesting now you've said that because so I'm one of those people that bring it in and then you work the rest out in the sense of rather than all of my people are lovely I know them so when I do safe recruitment training I also say it's about existing staff too that you need to challenge not only new people yeah yeah I mean but does that like in the in the work that I've done with this there are people who could be engaging in could have thoughts in that you know to to sexual thoughts about a child but haven't acted on it there are people who could yeah, be absolutely getting it so they often these people you know they haven't acted on it they understand the fullness of it or they understand that it's wrong and they feel bad about that so the slightest thing is going to make them fidget and go red there are other people who are who have taken a big leap and big journey and still when they're caught and arrested do they not don't. think I they've know. done anything no, I know. wrong. No, I know. They're not going to flash guilt. I know, no, I know. They're and some of them don't. It. Some of them don't. They don't all. So you're absolutely right. Some of them have got a poker face. Some of them just have that constant yeah. look of fine, even genuine. I've, I've done some post-ladder and police oh, investigations yeah. where um, there's no dirt in them because nothing was proven. Okay. And, you know, one could argue that we don't know it's questionable, but at the same time, they're still very confident talking to me, knowing the job that I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just dealt with some very, um, just people who, who want of justified, justified to themselves. And it, this is this is the tricky thing, isn't it? Because if we're going to say we're all unique and we're all entitled to safety, but we've all got different views and we need to respect that, where do we draw the, where do we draw the line? Where do we stop? Where do we say, do you know what? No, I won't respect that. And, and I, I often feel that my views are skewered. For example, when my I had pneumonia when my daughter started year three in a new school, junior school. Um, and so I'd been off and I hadn't been at the gates. I hadn't met parents. I knew some of them from before, but I hadn't met the new parents. Anyway, so we were having like a play day and I we did invitations. We we're doing like an eBay fashion party. We bought a load of clothes from eBay. They're going to try it on. So, but I didn't know the mum. So they were all dropping the kids off and I'm well now and I'm at the door and they're all kind of coming to the party. And I see two of them outside and one of them's going, they don't know me from Adam. And they're winding the window down. They don't even get in the car. They're winding the window down going, should we go to Costa? Let's go to Costa. See it. All right. And then they drive off. And I'm like, you know nothing about me or who's in this house. You haven't even spoken to me to get a feel. And you're happy to drop your yeah, eight-year-old no, off. No. I could never. I mean, it's like, I, you know, come to my ass because I know what's happening in my ass. But I, I feel like sometimes my views are skewered because I that lens that you're talking about is the one that I wear a lot. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I am aware of what could be. And also I know that there are some people who will justify in their arrest throughout their time in prison, as they, they will say, I, listen, this is, you know, the child, my, my own stepdad said that I asked him to do what he did when I was seven years old. That was part of his defence. Yeah. Uh, given by his solicitor, who is also fine to give that as a defence. Yeah, no, no. When you get that all the time, you start to think, what God, is it me? Is it me? So how do people, how do, how do you have a conversation with someone who might not be at a point in the journey where they are able to even question the boundaries that they've started to set up? Because it, for me, it feels like a series of tiny cons- compromises. Oh, well, I always know. say, um, so if you're in safeguarding or even as a human being in keeping people safe, I said people as in adults yeah. too, you yeah. have to, if you don't have any doubt or curiosity, you're not going to do the job well. Yeah. Meaning if you're too trusting and tick box, then it's never going to work. So you have to understand that there has to be challenge. There has to be doubt, professional curiosity as well. And in that, until you're satisfied yourself, like what you said by asking further questions, then you're like good to go. So like what you said, a common one, like what you said is a parent lets their child go on the sleepover by never checking, by, by never talking, no, by not talking to the parent, not knowing where they live. So I say, officially, then that child's missing because you don't know where they are. And I've had cases in my professional role where that has been the case. Next day, both children haven't come to school and we have to go via the school to get the address of where the child lives, oh, the friend, gosh. you know. So you'd be surprised how, but you know what, it's really complex, Jeff, because again, some people argue that's what I did when I was a kid. You know, like, you know, you know, so yeah, loads of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, and I get that. I do get that. But I, I, I just think as well, I'm often the parent who, like, you know, when you, you become a parent, there's this levelling and you're no longer a person. You're just Jake's mum or Trin's mum. There's that journey where you're suddenly not. And you're all just seen as parents. Yeah. But I've always been 
kind of a bit on the outside. One, because I have a marriage where we're pretty much 50-50 and we do things, you know, mm-hmm. and that's different to what a lot of my friends do. And two, because I don't, I won't assume stuff. I won't just take things yeah, for granted. Yeah, I'll yeah. ask, which makes mm-hmm. me really unpopular and stand out sometimes. However, one thing I wanted to ask you about is when I, I had one friend when I did my TED talk, um, who uh, we'd known each other, spent a lot of time to each other, you know, each other's kids. I'd been to see her family abroad. We'd done all that. Anyway, long story short, after she saw my TED talk, she sent me a text saying that she didn't want me to come near her children because in her mind and in her story, if you, and I know stats don't make any sense here. If you've been abused, you're going to go on. Oh to abuse. my god! if you are an abuser, high high chance that you've been abused. But it does. If I mean, anyone who was be, oh hurt went on to hurt, we'd all be in the. Dodgy. We'd all be in prison. Do you know what I mean? We'd all be in prison. So because the numbers don't work, but there was so her story. And obviously, it was like I, you know, it was a really hard thing to do. And it's all right saying she was never your friend, but good lord, that is a horrible experience to go through. You're listening to Jazz and Powerful. When people, how do we, how do we work on that? Because I've also been asked to sign petitions by local councillors to have. I was, I lived on an estate where there was a big satanic abuse ring, and they mm-hmm. wanted there was a the the local councillor <laughs> ran a, a petition for the children who were involved, some of them babies, three months old, the youngest, to be chemically castrated. Because they were definitely oh going to go on to abuse, That's and they knocked on my door oh and my asked God. me to sign a petition so that the children began. I mean, I don't even know where to. I, I, I don't, it's like racism and sexism and homophobia all in one. It, that's Terrible. How it feels. Terrible. So, how, how do we have conversations with people who are so um, fearful? They've gone completely the other way that when they, you know, like th- that they can make a decision about someone based on something that happened to them. Just in case, how do you go? They need to hear that? more. You know, like there's so many people in the big wide world who are in like like Oprah Winfrey. There's so many people who've been like yourself, you know, been been experienced harm in their life that have become yeah. amazing people to the point of nowhere near. So they need to balance what they're thinking and and, and the question why they're thinking that and what have they misread because um, the, the research and the stats tell us that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, it's just one of those things that. Um, I think they just, I just have that conversation about the reality of your responsibility as an individual in safeguarding, yeah. keeping people safe, looking out for, and I suppose trying to have a conversation with them to recognise that. And if, if that's their decision, that's their decision. But, you know, I think it's something that some people do go down that route, don't they, of labelling. And, and maybe something more about them than the reality of you well, doing I that. Mean, I think it's subconscious because I've seen people do it with children as well. Oh, he's a badden. Oh, well, yeah, I taught his yeah. mum. And this, uh, and it's like, you know, if we're creating that space, then guess what's going to happen? It, it, you know, you're, you're not allowing for anything else. So, I, I mean, these, these are brave conversations and you do have a way of just making it really easy. T- tell me about your work now. And most of all, there are people listening to this who have never talked about safeguarding or heard okay. safeguarding talked about in this way. What's their journey next? Okay. How do they connect with you? What do they do? So I would, if so, there might be some people listening to this, if it goes internationally again, well, I feel some countries are very taboo. They're very taboo about it doesn't exist in our society. Um, some, it, some countries, children and some families just generally across the world, that child has no voice. So if the child can't be heard and listened to and valued, then guess what? They're never going to say it. So this, the more we kind of promote UNICEF rights of the child, the child's got a right to be heard, loved, cared for, protected, have a voice. You know, every person knows a child, regardless of the, your role, whether you're your auntie, uncle, sibling, whatever, neighbour, there's always going to... So we all have responsibilities, society, as citizens, to look out and keep children safe. So... If you're listening from the UK, for example, you could ring the NSPCC anonymously or ring your, lo- your local social care if you don't want to be named to say, yes, I'm right about this particular child in this family. Likewise, every country has a child protection helpline. Yeah, yes, every country yeah. has one. Um, I did a bit of piece of work recently for uh, one of my associate roles. And I know that because of that's what I did in my, you know, they've all got a government, most countries. And most countries have signed up for UNICEF of the you know rights of the child. So, 
and every country's got an NGO, non-government organisation, yes. who's supporting yeah. violence, stopping violence and abuse against children and, 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 and women, right? So, and adults too, in that sense of men, but more about those other categories. So in that, if you're new to this, definitely um, explore and research the definition of what child abuse is, but also recognise adults get harmed too so yes, some of those yes. children grow up and become adults at risk or for various reasons adults are also harmed for various reasons and they also need protecting too because we're concerned about someone taking advantage and exploiting them and some of these pe- some of these adults could be parents and some of these people access children through these parents yeah. who can't be seen as protective factors so if you're new to it definitely go along that way i tend to get lots of emails from people so i'm on um my i've got a website called my name anmariechristian.com i'm an am without an e so if you go on my website you can email me directly and again i can signpost you um to other places but there's you know on twitter we know there's loads of things on on in social media to support and raise awareness of safeguarding there's loads of free courses there's loads of you know resources there's loads of stuff so Again, if you want more information, just contact me. If you're in an organisation and you want to raise the profile or wake your people up to the reality of it, contact me, again, for consultancy or training. And again, if you want to put things in place, so um, any organisation who works with children up to the age of 18 should have a, a safeguarding officer lead yeah. um, training to raise the awareness of it so people can report about it, staff. And also vet people appropriately, hence making sure they're not employing offenders who've harmed children. So, again, if you're very new to this or you're questioning your organisation, just contact me. You know, I'm on social media again, Anne-Marie Child on Twitter. Um, So I am available in the public domain as well. So, yeah, just contact me if it's new. And if you've heard this and it's triggered something for you, please, please seek help, support, whether it's the Samaritans, the NSBCC helpline. And also, if you are hearing this and know someone who could be opposed a risk to children, there's a charity called the Lucy Faithful Foundation. And what right. they do is they could, they've got a helpline again who they can listen to you and soundpost you in how you can report that person. Fantastic. If you're a student, there's Everyone's Invited, which started off as reporting um, children who are being harmed by you know, people in school. And it was started off as a small project and it just went massive. So there's that that's important because I feel like sometimes the place that we we should be seen as safe and things are appear to be in place and yet something's happening. And and I think the, the last thing is that if you are someone who has hurt someone else or who is hurting someone else or who feels like they want to. Like they they're being drawn to that, then speak to someone. Because now's the time that you get to make a decision. To de- the best time to do something about this was yesterday, and the, and the second best time is right now. Yeah. So I just want to encourage you to whoever, whether you are someone who has been hurt or someone who may potentially hurt, speak to someone. This is not an issue yeah. for you to consider on your own. Yeah. And also recognizing if you are a person who's hurting someone else, deep down you know you are. Deep down, you know you are. Majority of people, some people don't, obviously, because of personality disorders, but the majority of people do. And because of that, you know, you can control the future, but not the past. Yes. You know, yes. And, 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 and the sooner you seek help and own it, the, the, the better things could be for you, you know, because mm. sometimes that person knows what they're doing is wrong in that sense. And they do feel guilty when they come out of that zone. However, they then beat themselves up again and it goes back, that cycle starts again. So again, you know, you were a child once, that person, you know, anyone hearing this who's in that situation. And most people who do things like that, they are a product of something else. You know what I mean? Like no child is born that way and no adult's born that way. So just remembering, you know, it's not about you as the real you, but it's something that you've been through that you've now got this because of, you know, of, of something else that's affected you so please please you know um be open-minded and there is a way that you can control the future yeah 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 the past is not a script for the future mm, it never is definitely Th- this has been i i i love talking with you because it's it's like it's it you make it okay to have to have experienced things that aren't okay and and that is that's your superpower Thank and you. if there's one thing that i'd want people to be able to do it's connect with you 
read stuff you've written, read your articles, go on courses. If they can spend any time with you, do it, book you to come into the organization. But let's not treat safeguarding as, you know, the oh God, paperwork and the thing we've got to do. Let's actually live it. Like we're all big on living our values, not laminating. Mm-hmm. Let's live our safeguarding rather yeah, yeah. than laminating. Let's be proactively safeguarding rather than waiting. If someone discloses, I'll, I'll definitely jump in and do something about it. Let's actually create a space where people can be human first. And, and you know, on, on the back of that, it's interesting. Yesterday I was on a train coming home and there was yeah. a boy opposite me who'd clearly been beaten up or had a nosebleed. But either way, he was very traumatised in the sense of just shock nervous shaking rose nose was running so in the full packed carriage i was like okay because nobody see this child like yes he might be six foot but he's a boy he's a child yeah. he must be about 15 so bless him he was there sniffling in the corner and i said are you okay gave him my tissues and i looked at him in his eyes to say are you okay and he's like i'm fine you know but no one around me could yeah. see that and i'm thinking you can't you see there's a child here in uniform <laughs> Yeah, who needs yeah. a bit of empathy and again that's me you know obviously I'm not going to put myself at risk if I if I felt on you know it, it, um not safe but in a packed carriage clearly you know we need as society we need to be more caring towards others um yeah, in a sense it, of children it, yes and inviting people in what I do because I know that I would put myself in danger if I acted quickly when I see that situation, I turn to the person next to me and I bring other people in and go, hey, this boy looks like he's in trouble, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall, shall we see if he's okay together, all of us? Shall we all... And then he's getting this yeah, whole carriage yeah, going, right, yeah, what yeah. can we do? I did and a bit of that because the lady next to me, yeah, the lady next to me saw it. We were looking at each other like, is this really happening? So the two of us did it together, actually. But we just did yeah. it quietly in a way like... Because when I looked, oh, she I... looked behind me. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I don't do anything quietly. Everyone's going to... It's a revolution wherever I'm... <laughs> I was designed to cause a ruckus. <laughs> That's it. That's all good. <laughs> oh, Amory, thank you so, so much for your time, for your talent, for your way of being. Thank no you problem. for giving a giving a window and a door for people, wherever they're coming from, to carry on on a journey that is ultimately going to lead to liberation wherever you, you start. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that you exist. The, the, the education system is a better place because you're in it. Thank so you. please, please keep being awesome. Thank I you. And it. thank you so much for the invitation. And um, you're doing amazing work in that sense, um, it, obviously in kind of empowering people to have that confidence and sharing your story for, for lots of reasons and empowering those people, those children, those adults who've never been able to have that voice. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're, we're going to do it. We're yeah, just going to do yeah, our bit. Yeah. Yes, we All are. right, well, take care. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to Everyday Heroes, of which I think you'll agree, Amory Christian is one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jazz, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Awesome.